You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Got part one of a two-part episode. Got a lot to talk about. Michigan is 6-0. and They've entered the bye week. So, so we're taking this opportunity, the, I guess the halfway point of the season, to maybe go a little macro level. We'll talk about Michigan's win at Nebraska, but we'll also take a look at some of the biggest things we've learned from Michigan's 6-0 and start, the biggest questions we still have. Uh, maybe do a little mid-season awards or grades. And then take a look at the Wolverines' final six games and what what maybe a, a fair expectation might be the rest of the way, along with some bold predictions. But Steve, let's talk about first Michigan, Nebraska. I think you and I are on the same page. Very impressive, arguably underrated win. This is a Nebraska. Honestly, Nebraska. I mean, they're three and four. Based on the rest of their schedule, I could see them. I think this is a year they get to a bowl game. I don't know if they have enough wins on the schedule to get to, to seven or eight wins, but certainly uh, not not some chump team. And maybe, I guess it depends on how you feel about Wisconsin, who's now two and three and had a shutout win over Illinois. Maybe Nebraska is one of the better teams Michigan has faced all season. Maybe they're the best team Michigan has faced all season. So seemed like a lot of things were clicking for Nebraska, and I think, I mean, there were 87,000 fans in the stands. I asked a couple of the photographers who are, who are on the field for all of these Michigan games where the Nebraska atmosphere ranked. They, they put it ahead of Wisconsin, and, and they, these are people who've been to Wisconsin a couple times. And they put it right on par with, with Iowa, um, maybe a little bit below Ohio State, but like the Iowa-Michigan second tier. So pretty good atmosphere. Nebraska pulled out a lot of stops to try to get a win. Uh, they did come back. They were down 13 to nothing. They, they, they fought back. They actually took a lead over Michigan, first team to do so all season. They did so twice. Michigan came back twice, won in the final two minutes with a Brad Hawkins strip fumble. Jake Moody, his fourth field goal kick on as many tries. So I, to me, I think it's a very impressive win. But a couple days removed from the victory, what is your biggest takeaway about Michigan in this game? A couple things. So, yeah, I do think this is a much bigger win than Michigan was <clears throat> is ever going to get credit for. Uh, a lot of the people who won't give Michigan the credit they deserve are the same ones who picked Nebraska to win the game in the first place. I, yeah, I, I think Nebraska, I think you could argue Nebraska could be the second best team in the West. I think it would be between them and Wisconsin. So that game will be really interesting. I, I think the big, I think what I took away from this game, you know, McNamara after the game, making the comment about the teams he's been on at Michigan, maybe wouldn't have won this game. I think it's hard not to disagree with that. I think you could go back even further. Might've been a few other Michigan teams that wouldn't have won this football game. I thought, Players, particularly on the defensive, made big plays in big spots. Not something that we've seen in recent years necessarily, maybe going back to like 16 or 18, maybe even. 
but but guys stepping up in huge spots like the, the Brad Hawkins uh, strip, obviously the biggest one of all of them. But you know, Nebraska, like the context of this game, I think is what makes it such a big one for Michigan. I, I said it'd be their trap game back in August. I think that kind of played out. Uh, the game with how we predicted it pretty much played out. I think my exact words were this game will go into the fourth quarter, not knowing who's going to win. And then Michigan will win and cover. Uh, that's exactly what happened, but you're talking about a Nebraska team and program interested. Like I said, I think I wrote an, an interesting mix of super seniors. So guys who've been around the program talent, Adrian Martinez, definitely the best quarterback Michigan's faced so far this season, might end up being one of the two or three best they face all year. A defense that I think a lot of advanced statistics say is a top 25, top 30 type unit. All that with the idea that I think it was a team that was playing with more and more confidence. It felt like a game that I could see from a national perspective, people picking Nebraska to win that game just because they're at home. They desperately, desperately, desperately needed a signature win with under Scott Frost. It's it's the type of win I think they've been searching for since he got there, and just the yeah, just the fact that they've been they they took they took Oklahoma to the end, and they and they really they gave away the game against Michigan State. Those are two top ten teams, so I, I could I could see where maybe you thought there'd be some momentum going into that game for Nebraska. We're like they're at home. It's going to be at night. It's going to be crazy just kind of feels like an upset, a potential upset. And uh, not only did Michigan win, but they they took that punch in the mouth. I mean, what, they scored two touchdowns in a matter of a minute and a half or something? I mean, you had the um, the Austin Allen touchdown, then the interception, and then the next play is another touchdown. You go from yep. comfortable lead to being down all of a sudden for the first time all year. But the way Michigan responded from then on, I thought was the most impressive part of this game. And, and, Again, I say that those are the types of experiences now that they can carry with them uh, because you probably have their two toughest road games are still ahead. Um, just a yes. Wisconsin kind of is, is not Wisconsin. We said that, but what a brutal road slate for them uh, to go Nebraska at night. Like I said, in a game that they were super, super desperate for a big win. Now you have a rivalry game on the road in a couple of weeks, and then you go to Penn State. Which, if Sean Clifford's healthy, I don't, I don't know if Penn State. I don't know when they play Ohio state, but they, they might not lose again until if Michigan comes to town, uh, if Clifford's healthy. So I was, I thought this was a really impressive win for them. Uh, and again, I could I feel comfortable in saying that knowing that it, it really kind of played the, the way that I said it would. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I, the game didn't really play out the way I said it would, but it, it, it played out the way I think Nebraska had hoped it would in that it became a weird game with a lot of like unconventional calls being made kind of, I think both, both teams and both fan bases came away with like complaints about the officiating Nebraska got, I don't know if creative is the right word, but like the illegal formations, the, the plays that Michigan clearly just had nothing in the playbook for on a couple of their touchdowns. And, and you're right. I mean, they scored over the course of, a handful of minutes over 14 plays, 163 yards and three straight touchdowns. I mean, they went, they could do nothing in the first half. And I, I honestly, looking back on the game, I almost wonder if that was by design to like suck in the first half and then maybe 
catch Michigan off guard with some other stuff in the second half, don't give them the time to adjust, you know, at the, the halftime break or anything. And, and then open the playbook up in the second half. I don't know if that's actually what Nebraska did, but it, it did seem like a game that Nebraska, that second half went exactly like Nebraska had hoped it would until the final couple minutes. And, and Michigan deserves credit, as you said, after Cade McNamara threw his first interception of the season. Really, I guess you can count Alan Bowman's turnover, but, but essentially the first turnover Michigan's had all season immediate short field touchdown, but then Michigan goes on three straight scoring drives. That was not something Nebraska was planning on. And, and it's a good Nebraska defense. They did shut down other top running backs this season, Northwestern and, and Michigan state, especially had, had running backs who were top. They still are top 25 in yards per game. Could not do anything against against Nebraska and, and Oklahoma had an okay running game, but you know, they've got some running backs who I think will be drafted as well. Quiet game. So I think one, one major takeaway I have is son Haskins and Blake Corum. I think they played hero. I mean, they did, you know, no negative rushing plays from either of them. Uh, I think so far this season, they are number one and number two in running back production against Nebraska this year. And obviously Haskins, well, actually, both of them, because Corum's 29-yard touchdown run and then Haskins' 50-yard run with the hurdle. I mean, Michigan was trailing in both scenarios. And, you know, we'll talk about the passing game in a moment, but, but it was the running backs who led the comeback victory in a lot of ways. So on a night where Michigan's offensive line, I think, really struggled, actually, partly due to injuries, partly due to Nebraska uh, having maybe a, a better game up front than, than expected. But, yeah, I think the running backs played hero. And then I, I, I do think Michigan, I think there's something to the fact that, to what McNamara said, do, does Michigan win this game in other years? I'm inclined to think yes without knowing too much about what Nebraska really is because I think I mean, they, they did lose to Illinois. I think the loss to Michigan State looks pretty darn forgivable at this point as does the loss to Oklahoma, both of those on the road. But Michigan, I mean, they, they've had the punch-in-the-mouth road games against Big Ten West teams before. In 2016, it was against a very good Iowa team at night. In 2018, it was against a, a, a Northwestern team that ended up winning the division that year in the Big Ten West. And that was another, I think it was also a night game. Uh, on the road so I don't know if Nebraska is as good as those two teams were but it's a similar thing where I think Michigan found itself in a battle that maybe it didn't expect to be in and that's the thing is like some games players are able to go into it knowing it's going to be tight so then they're they're a little less phased by when, when things go wrong and I think that's one thing that that I'm impressed about this Michigan team is I think that they, they actually don't overlook teams. At least they haven't so far. You know, I think, I think Wisconsin and Nebraska, they went into both expecting them to be even matchups. And that's, that's critical to, you know, if, if Nebraska, like think about that first drive, 43 yard passing play. And then on like fourth and sixth, it was like a 24 yard passing play. Suddenly they're, 
right in Michigan's red zone with the crowd going nuts. Fourth down stand by Brad Hawkins. And to me, that's a, that's a defense that wasn't rattled. When I do think a lot of previous defenses might have had that like, oh, oh bleep moment. This is going to be a problem. And, and then the rest of the half, they, they played really well. So, yeah, I think, I think there was some, some, I don't know if I'd call it championship caliber, but maybe New Year's Six caliber resolve shown. And then I think the offense, you know, going down and, and winning the game, granted, it, you know, they got lucky with that fumble. And so it wasn't like an amazing drive, but, but three straight scoring drives to close out the game. Yeah, there was a lot of resolve shown. And I think a lot of um, the, you know, the, the talk about the culture, the positivity, I think it shows in a game like that where things aren't going well, but there isn't, there isn't like the finger pointing. There isn't the freak outs. You know, no one's, no one's kind of losing track of the game or, or, or spinning out a little bit. It's, it's very methodical, very um, tactical in the way that they just made the, made the adjustments they could make and made plays. As you said, a lot of great individual plays, you know, particularly from, from the running backs and, and from um, you know, Daxon Hill and Brad Hawkins had a couple of really impressive plays. That said, Steve, I, 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 I think we're on the same page. This is an impressive win, maybe an underrated win for Michigan. It didn't come without some major concern areas. Uh, you know, I think there are, there, I think there's still some concern about the passing game. I don't think that, I don't think Kate McNamara fully answered that question. Uh, he got up to 255 passing yards, but, but had some, both him and the receivers were, were, had some, some moments where they didn't look super strong. And then my, one of my bigger concerns is actually the, the cornerbacks and the linebackers got picked apart in coverage. Um, I thought the safeties actually did pretty well, but there were a lot of, a lot of blown coverages. Some of them, you know, I'm not too worried about the one touchdown where they, where they had the uh, illegal formation and, and definitely got away with something there. But some of the other ones, I think in their first test against a team that actually will throw it downfield and is actually a genuine downfield passing threat, there were, there were, some, there were some struggles. They didn't ace the test. And when you think about you know, watching Michigan State against Rutgers or watching Penn State when Sean Clifford's in, I don't think he's quite the deep ball thrower that Adrian Martinez is, but he, he can do it. And then, of course, Ohio State, I think we're both in agreement. Those are kind of the swing games that will determine if, what kind of season this was for Michigan. But there were some other concern areas, too. How concerning? Is there anything that, that, that is very long-term concerning, again, with kind of viewing Michigan's new expectation maybe as 10, 10 wins? Is there anything that, that is concerning to the point where you think more than 10 wins looks very difficult to envision and maybe even 10 wins looks difficult to envision. Uh, I think Michigan needs a healthy Roman Wilson. You know, I think, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, they, yeah, right? not a, not a great first impression for a, for the thin receiver room for the thinning. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a position we thought we looked at as being pretty deep, but then you lose two guys, two of maybe you'd say your top three, 
you know, Wilson being a guy we predicted would emerge, you know, coming into the season. So that's in that situation, it's a combination to me, it's a combination of needing Roman Wilson back and needing Cornelius Johnson to step up. I think that's going to be a big storyline slash key for Michigan in the second half. I think Cornelius Johnson is the, is clearly the guy that has the ceiling and ability to be that number one guy. Um, you know, I think he's, they need someone maybe they can rely on a little more consistently. So I think that's going to be key for them. I also think, yeah, I think I do think they're going to need more from the quarterback position as well. I think you go back to Wisconsin. I think talked about a lot of missed plays that were there. Haven't watched the film on this one close enough to know if it's the case again on Saturday. I suspect there were probably a, a, a few you know, I think so. I think overall, I think they're going to need more consistency at the quarterback position just because they are. They're going to be playing in some more strong front sevens. I think Penn State, I was on a national pod yesterday. I think you could argue Penn State's defense is could be the best unit in the big. I mean, they were really, really good against Iowa um, and had to play over the whole second half just about in that game after Clifford went out. I mean, three and out, three and out, three and out, uh, and their defense mostly stood up to Iowa in that situation. So the bigger tests are still coming, but yeah, I agree with you on the coverage. I think we talked before we recorded, like they had almost 200 yards after the catch. You know, I think there were some, definitely some blown. I thought the one thing, the other thing I thought about the game, Nebraska side, I just thought their offensive coordinator called a really good game. Um, They set Michigan up with some good, good second half. Yeah. Yeah, Good second half. half, Sorry. Yep. Yep. Good adjustments then maybe we'd say at the ha- at halftime or something. But either way, they, they despite having limited success in the first half or really no success, they were still able to set stuff up to use in the second half. You know, I think, like I said, that touchdown, the first touchdown, which whether it was a legal formation or not, you know, they had Michigan biting big time on the run, even though Michigan was not having any issue slowing down the run in between the tackles, you know? So thought that was another thing, you know, and, and yeah, I agree. I, I don't think the cornerbacks have played perfect football for sure. And yeah, you still have Michigan state, Ohio state on the schedule. They've been incredibly explosive through the air. Ohio state always is. Uh, and, and John Dotson for Penn state might be the best receiver in the conference so far this year. So definitely more challenges lie ahead in that area, but overall, I mean, Everything else, you know, I, I said that on that same national pod, I think there's there's a skeleton here for Michigan of a really good team. They do a lot of the things that a lot of good teams do well. They run the football effectively. They have slowed down the run pretty effectively against everybody. And uh, their special teams has been awesome so far this season. And uh, so there's a lot for me. I think Michigan's built a good foundation throughout the, the first six games, you know, and and nothing was going to be perfect. Just a matter of are those things that they need fixing, you know, what's the ceiling as far as fixing them? Is this something that they're just going to have to live with or are there, you know, fixes that are out there that, that they can get in tune in time for let's say Michigan state in a few weeks. Yeah. I think to me, I think receiver is actually one of the more fixable ones. Obviously there's something to be said for the fact that they haven't, you know, they've played a few games without Ronnie Bell and they still haven't had someone 
And I think, you know, Dalen Baldwin and, and Cornelius Johnson are kind of the two that people are looking at, say, you know, saying you guys should be more or less every snap you could make a play caliber receivers. And so far, granted, quarterback play is a part of this, but but Cornelius Johnson has 14 catches. Dalen Baldwin has 12. Um, Eric All has 11. Blake Corum actually has more receptions than anyone else on the team with 14. But that's still not a lot through six games. I know Michigan spreads the ball around, but I mean, there are, there are players in the big 10 with like over 30 already. So it's, I think, uh, and so it's, that's something, you know, is, is there a legit star receiver that can emerge the rest of the way to me? I think the most concerning one is probably the cornerbacks. You know, I, I, the quarterback play, I agree. I think I'm under the impression that either a McNamara is going to, figure it out to the point where Michigan's going to win a couple of those road games that, that still exist or McCarthy will improve to the point where he's the guy. I think, I think the fact that there's already a lot of chatter that Michigan's aware that plays are being left on the field lends me to believe that maybe this bye week is a week that Michigan gives it a fresh look. And they, and that might not make a difference in who starts against Northwestern, a game that probably either quarterback could lead them to victory, but maybe Michigan, do they, do they, you know, do a little gamesmanship and bring out, you know, maybe is that the McCarthy game where, where um, he makes more pass attempts is actually like a big factor in the offense. I don't know. That's just something that, that crossed my mind, but, but the fact they have a five-star quarterback as the backup at cornerback, I don't know if they have someone who has emerged as a, legitimate backup I think Vincent Gray I think Michigan can slow down one receiver in a game because Vincent Gray's actually had quietly a very good season in coverage but the rest of the cornerbacks and and Gray too had a had a you know defensive holding penalty that probably if he had like covered the route more effectively he probably didn't need to do it the pass wasn't great um and so yeah, can they can they stop the grabbing? Can they actually stay with some of these faster receivers? Because Wisconsin, Washington, honestly, a little bit. I guess Records has a couple guys who can make plays as receivers, but they have not played a, a passing attack like Michigan State or Penn State or Ohio State yet. They've not played a passing attack like Indiana and Maryland could bring. So I mean, you're talking about five their final five opponents are going to try to exploit Michigan coverage. A few of them did so last season with the same guys. So I think that's, to me, that's the biggest lasting question is, is can, can the group step up? And, and it's not just the cornerbacks. I think the safeties are having strong overall seasons in coverage, but the linebackers, it's starting, you know, I think Nebraska, you mentioned the offensive coordinator. They started doing what teams were doing last year, which was, basically trying to set these linebackers up for failure by making them cover somebody. So, you know, there, some of that's communication, some of that's schematics and Michigan, Michigan can fix the schematic parts, but at the same time, I mean, I think, I think the number was Michigan allowed Michigan's linebackers allowed eight for eight passing for 143 yards. That's, that's not going to work. I mean, that's, you know, any, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, they'll they'll eat that up. They'll take that to, 
to a 35 point outing for their offense. So, um, to me, the other ones, the other concerns are closer to like the four, the five, but the cornerback coverage issues, I'm, I'm maybe closer to a seven on a, on a one to 10 concern scale. Anyway, we're going to hit a quick break and then we will talk about the top things we learned about the offensive defense and the biggest remaining questions on offense and defense through the first six games. You're listening to the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back. Thanks for waiting. Yeah, I guess so, hopefully this isn't too repetitive, but but kind of similar questions about things we learned takeaways from the first six games instead of just this past game. And then biggest remaining questions. Steve, I think my biggest takeaway is that a lot of what Michigan believed it would be good at has manifested on the field. I mean, we heard all fall camp, they feel really good about the offensive line and the run game. And sure enough, that has been very much true. I mean, this is a, this is an elite running team. You know, Hassan Haskins, Blake Corm have lived up to the billing. Honestly, the only part that surprised me about that facet of the game is the lack of Donovan Edwards' involvement. And, and I, think, I think it's hard to argue. I mean, Haskins and Corum are both on pace for 1,000-yard rushing seasons with 15-plus touchdowns. I mean, if you have two guys doing that, it, you almost wonder if a third would, would mess up the rhythm. So, yeah, really, I think that has been very impressive. I think it's actually honestly just met expectations. I don't know if it's exceeded expectations, uh, but expectations were really high. I mean, that was going to be Michigan's kind of bread and butter this season. I think the biggest surprise takeaway, I think, is how well that defensive front has played, especially against the run. You know, they've played some big offensive linemen, Wisconsin, Washington, and Nebraska, too. I mean, these are teams that, that have – good offensive line, you know, I guess we'll see how it looks the rest of the way, but they have offensive lines that, that have size that were highly touted recruits in theory should be good offensive lines, good, good old lines on paper. And Michigan's really done a nice job stopping the run guys like Mozzie Smith, Chris Jenkins, uh, Christopher Hinton, Josh Ross, Nikai Hill green. I mean, these are players with the exception of Ross that really didn't have much of an impact last season who are really stepping up and, and making a lot of plays, making, making some serious plays. I mean, I think everyone knew Aiden Hutchinson and Daxton Hill were going to be good. 
you guys like Brad, uh, Brad Hawkins, Jamon Green, Vincent Gray. I mean, there, there were some defensive players that, that were known. But to me, I think that up front, the new guys, you could probably throw Junior Colson in there as well. Stepping up and, and especially against the run, really stopping the rushing attack of opposing teams. That has been maybe the most impressive part of Michigan's 6-0 start, and I think maybe the biggest surprise that has helped them be 6-0. How about you, Steve? What are, what are some of your biggest takeaways on offense and defense for this team? Uh, offensively, <clears throat> I think we've seen, I think, one, one area where, you know, again, last year just has always kind of felt like a blur you know, the, the, at least the actual games. I think when we tried to record the preseason episodes, like I didn't remember a thing about the Penn State <laughs> game last year. It's like, well, um, and, and it, in, it, in a lot of ways with all the injuries and everything, it kind of probably was a blur for Michigan too. I mean, right. it just wasn't, it clearly was, maybe it's not a fluke. It's fine if you want to say Michigan went two and four, but it, it clearly was an exceptional and strange year. And it was particularly strange for the Wolverines because of their injuries and opt-outs. So one thing I've noticed the last couple of weeks, tight ends, it's kind of always, you know, but it feels like there's been more of a want to as far as blocking on the edge from Michigan's receivers and tight ends. I think as much credit as the offensive line deserves, and it's something we predicted heading into the year, I think those guys deserve some credit too for helping spring some big runs. I think Schoonmaker was the guy that sprung Haskins' big run on Saturday, uh, came through the hole, took the linebacker out, basically left a Mack truck hole for Haskins to run through. So that's one thing I think that will continue to be an asset for them as far as trying to run the football against some better teams is it's, it feels like as much you know, as a, people want to throw a fit and whine after the Washington game about how they didn't throw the ball much, uh, it doesn't look like it's really impacted – the receivers desire to buy in on Michigan trying to run the football because the effort is definitely there uh, as far as the, as far as the blocking aspect goes. Now they haven't been perfect. You know, guys have like, some guys are still kind of, I think coming along in that regard, but it just, from what, just watching the game, it looks like the effort is really there. And I think that says a lot about the cohesion of that unit offensively. So I think that's one big takeaway defensively. I just think the emergence of that front, the front seven has been better than what I think anybody anticipated. Uh, we knew what Aiden Hutchinson was capable of, but I think it was pro football focus. He has a better, isn't he have a higher rush success rate than Chase Young and both Bosa's had in their final seasons with Ohio state so far he does. And again, they're going to be playing some good teams that, you know, coming up, but, um, if that's true, though, I mean, 29.4%, I think, was the was okay. the number. And the Bose, Young was at like 28, and the Boses were both like high 27, low 28. So I was going to say, because Washington has an, a left tackle or offensive tackle who's a projected top 50 pick. Right. He was a projected first round pick until, until they he played, played Michigan. Hutchinson. And then Wisconsin, you can say their offensive line is down. I think, objectively speaking, that's true they still got guys who are on NFL radars at right. tackle. Um, sure. So I think the big thing for Hutchinson is just, I mean, is it six, five and a half, six and a half sacks? Yep. Um, that's not quite the young Bosa level, but, but he's been 
I mean, his every snap presence is incredible. He had another eight quarterback pressures on Saturday. Didn't record a sack, but I ended up including him among the three MVPs of the game in my in my eye, just because that's you can have a big impact on the game without yeah. impacting the box score for sure. He's a guy that's playing at such a high level right now that you don't need, like I've said this a hundred times before, but he fits. You don't have to know a lot about the game to watch that, watch it. See, maybe he's not the guy making the sack or the guy making the tackle, but you don't have to know much about the game to watch and say, that guy's making a difference out there. They're, they're concerned about that guy or they can't stop that guy. You know, and he's been doing that all season long. And provided he stays healthy, that's something he should continue to do. You know, but it's a lot of it's been the other guys. I think we, we've we been projecting Ojabo to break out for a while. I think he's, see if you agree or disagree, I think he's broken out like at a at a further level than what maybe we thought he yeah, would. Yeah, he's, he's top 25 in the country in sacks right now. Yeah, I mean, he is, he has become... Like, like I I think I said last week's episode, his emergence, I think, is one of the things that can take Michigan's defense to the next level and could help mask maybe any deficiencies in the past defense. You know, if those guys continue to get pressure at the rate that they've been getting, you know, I think that's going to be huge for them. Uh, and then the guys in the middle. You know, Mozzie Smith has been awesome the last three weeks. And again, a guy that we thought was capable of doing it, but now that you're seeing it, it's kind of like, okay, this is the level these guys can play at. Hinton, I think the light has gone on there, to use that phrase. So that's really been a big takeaway for me, particularly that front four. Um, and not only that, but they've been able to rotate pretty heavily at those spots too. It's not as if it's just those guys. you know. But those are the four that are definitely – that's definitely like that number one unit for sure is those four guys. And I think it's really, really – helped you know it's helped everybody else you know because we, we talk about josh ross struggled in the passing game i, I think that's just going to be a thing uh he's just always kind of had a little bit of an issue defending the pass uh but overall i think he's had a, a really good year so far i don't I, i'm not going to ding him too yeah michigan's for- job is not to make him better against the pass it's to get him in unfavorable passing matchups less often right and so yeah I think overall I think defensively I just I think the the stars have been stars but I think it's those other those guys that we were you know how many years we projected guys to maybe break out and then they kind of do but not really it feels like a lot of the guys we thought would break out have not just broken out but like really become big time contributors for them. And if you're a Michigan fan, you got to be pretty excited knowing almost all these guys, you know, even a guy like junior Colson, um, a lot of these guys will be back next year. Um, maybe not so much in the defensive backfield, but uh, up front, they'd they look deep and young in a lot of spots and linebacker. There's a couple of, you know, Hill green and Colson, especially are guys that look like they're emerging. So Feels like the future is bright at the, on the defensive side of the ball, but but really, like I said the biggest one for me is that front four, uh, just just ferocious, and they've they've really kind of set the tone. They have, they have. I think when I wrote back in the fall, I think I listed fourteen players I expected to be breakout players this season, and I think almost all fourteen have like 
been breakout players this year. And that's not me saying, oh, I'm so smart. I mean, everything was based on what players and coaches were saying in fall camp. I didn't didn't pull names out of a hat. But same time, I think for Michigan to, to have so many players step up in the way that they need to step up, the fact that, you know, R.J. Moten is – has started six games, played pretty well. I mean, he was kind of not out of nowhere, but kind of. He didn't play. I think he played like eight snaps last year on defense. And, and you know, Nakai Hill Green, same kind of deal. It's like, I you know, don't know if, where he lands, ranks among the Big Ten, but he's looked pretty good. <laughs> and he didn't do anything last year. And that's not, it's not a diss on him. He was a true freshman, but... But clearly this defensive coaching staff has done a nice job of, of finding a way to shorten that learning curve and get younger players to make impacts. I mean, Chris Jenkins, there was talk about him in fall camp enough that I think he was at the bottom of my 14 players, breakout players list. But yeah, he's been really good too. And I don't think anyone in last December or last November was like, okay, well, it's all right. Chris Jenkins will be in there next year. Um, it was just a lot of unknowns. Mike Morris, another guy who uh, he was a year older, but we didn't know what his career was going to look like. Totally forgot about Mike Morris. That's another really, really big one. Like yeah. he looks like a guy that's going to be a bit, a major impact player before he leaves. Yeah. I can kind of do that. Chris Wormley role where he can, you know, he can play on the end as a, as a bigger end. But then on pass rushing snaps, he can go on the inside and still hold his own and and uh, still think, I mean, I think he's got a really high ceiling too. So, yeah, I think think that's been maybe the quote-unquote pleasant surprise for Michigan this season. Question marks, I without trying to repeat you know, some of the same concerns, I, I, I think the biggest question mark – I'll, I won't. I won't do another coverage rant in the same episode. But, but the the passing game, I don't know if it's all on McNamara. But clearly, this passing game, the schemes, the throwing concepts, the the route tree, clearly, it's not clicking for Michigan right now. I don't know if these are routes that Ronnie Bell was a lot better at, or Roman Wilson was a lot better at. But you know, the throws. I don't feel like these throws, these passes are the best passes for McNamara to throw. I mean, these, these like five yard hitch type routes that are like all the way across the field. So it's like a 30 yard throw on a, on a half second route. Um, you know, those are, those are not going to work. And I think a smart cornerback is eventually going to kind of read that play and pick it off and get, get six easy points. So um, you know, those are, it just seems like, a lot of the throws they're asking McNamara to make are not either not throws he can make or not throws he's comfortable making. So I think he needs to play better. I think the receivers have to play better. You know, their drops are starting to become a, a little bit of an issue. They weren't too much of an issue Saturday, but they had three against Wisconsin. But then I also think the scheme has to be better. To me, the biggest question on offense is can they figure out the passing game enough? It doesn't have to be the best passing game in the Big Ten. That would certainly help help their odds of winning the Big Ten. But but you know, in terms of getting to maybe that New Year's Six Bowl area, they don't need the best passing game in the Big Ten because they have a great run game. 
but can they figure out, can they make some adjustments here and there to just, just be better? They have to be, you know, just a little bit more efficient. They've avoided mistakes, but they've also left some plays on the field. And that's not all quarterback. That's not all receiver. I mean, even the offensive line has had some, some pass protection struggles the past couple of weeks. So uh, what is your biggest remaining question for Michigan's offense? I think it's the quarterback stuff. I think the biggest reason why is because I think this team is, I think they're capable of big things now. So it's not a situation where it's not about uh, thinking the quarterback play has been poor or even like average or anything like that. It's more that this team's ceiling has, has definitely been raised. And I think, I think, upper tier quarterback play is, is the one thing that can sort of solidify that, you know, I mean, that's every year top teams in the country who had to have elite quarterback. They either have like a, like, I guess you look at Georgia this year, right? Georgia has like a, a historically good defense. So they're able to play their backup quarterback and win football games. But by and large elite quarterback play, is what drives most contenders, right? I mean, we'll look at Clemson this year. Lose Trevor Lawrence. They're not getting nearly the same level of play at quarterback, and, and they've not had a good season at all. A lot of other reasons, but either way, biggest right. reasons why they don't have Trevor Lawrence. ETN so, as well. Yep, yep. Either way, I just, you know, Lawrence is, you know, but point point made that yes, by and large elite upper-tier quarterback play is what's going to drive your – offense to the next level. So for Michigan, I do, I think it's simple. I think, I think you want to see a higher level of play at quarterback. Uh, and like I said, just to make it clear, not a criticism of everything. It's more about the opportunity is there for Michigan now. And now I think, and I think that's the one thing offensively that can help them take the next step. I mean, they've shown the ability to run the football consistently now against some solid front sevens that means there should be opportunities there. I, I don't know about like, I haven't looked at the numbers. I don't know how good Michigan state's front seven is. I think they're pretty good, but I don't know if they're Wisconsin or Nebraska. Good. Um, they should have opportunities in that game to throw the football down the field. So gotta be able to hit your guy. Gotta be able to hit guys. I think Gaddis deserves a ton of credit for continually scheming guys open and getting guys into giving guys opportunities to make plays. They've hit on some, but I think the last couple of weeks, if there's one nitpick, I think it's that they've missed on quite a few. So, you know, I think that's, that's the one area. And again, just because I think Michigan has a higher ceiling than they did maybe at the beginning of the season. To answer your question about Michigan state, they have the number two pass rush in the big 10, according to pro football focus behind only Michigan and they have the number four run defense behind Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa. So, I mean, PFF's grades are not gospel, but I, I do think they've done a nice job against the opponents that they've had in, in both getting to the quarterback, at least in a pressure standpoint, and then also slowing down the run. Yeah, I think, I think quarterback's the big one. I mean, I think it's a little bit more than the quarterback, and I think that's to me, that's with the expectation of how do they get to a new year's six bowl? Because I, I, I don't think it's 
realistic to expect them to have much more than that. But I think it's fair to, to hold them to that aspiration. So, yeah, it's, it's, are you, so if you're the coaches, Steve, are you looking to change quarterbacks? Are you make in considering making a switch or are you just trying to get the most you can out of McNamara this season and, and hoping for the best? I don't think Michigan is giving JJ McCarthy on field opportunities, whether it's primarily running the ball or not, unless they thought there was a shot that he, you know, yeah. Right. I, I just, I think that that's how they're setting it up. I think it's the right thing to do also. Um, I, I think you give McNamara, I think you just kind of keep, you kind of status quo to an extent, but you also at the same time, you have to start to want to see more on a more consistent basis. And then again, the other thing, the, the ultimate variable, which of course we're not privy to is how things are going on, on in practice on a day-to-day basis. You know, is McCarthy outperforming in practice, but McNamara's, you know, they're six and oh, I think it'd be, I don't think you could just go in and make a change right now. Uh, but Michigan, it's not a bad, it not a bad problem to have, I don't think, uh, as you have a quarterback who's led you to a six and oh start, has played mostly well. Again, I mean, he's only turned the ball over one time in six games. Uh, it's not as if he's been a hindering Michigan offensively at all. I just, I think, it's as simple as you you're going to play the guy that gives you the best chance to win. And I think Michigan has left the door open for McCarthy to eventually be that guy. I think it's a little on McNamara to, to maybe play at a little bit of a higher level to hold McCarthy off, but either way, it, it feels like Michigan is in a good position. As far as that goes, I don't think they've, I don't think, I think they've handled it about as well as you can handle it. I don't think they've mishandled it by putting McCarthy in there at all. You know, I think, both guys seem to like each other too. I don't think it's been a point of contention or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting, but it's a good interesting. Yeah. We'll, we'll actually hear from JJ McCarthy for the first time in his career tonight. Uh, but curious to get his thoughts. I think they could have had him throw a little bit more. I, I understand what they're doing with the read keep thing, but um, I think, I think they have now exhausted that as the trick trick play. I think it's no longer a trick play. I think now when when McCarthy's in the game, that's what they're expecting. So I think having him throw a little bit more in against Big Ten teams. If I'm Michigan, and I guess I'm uh, surmising that, that that it is at least a battle. Like if they restarted fall camp right now, it would be a battle for quarterback. I think I'm having them both throw. 10 to 15 times against Northwestern and making Michigan state study them both and be prepared for both. I think there's something to be said for maybe making it look like McNamara's the guy and then having McCarthy go in against Michigan state. But I, I don't know. I think I, you know, there's so many people clamoring for McCarthy. I think he's only thrown 13 passes at the college level. I mean, that's, that's probably not as many as, as they could have had him throw. It's 14. He's completed nine of 14 passes for 178 yards and two touchdowns. That's, those are pretty good numbers. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I know some, a lot of that's against Mac teams, but still um, 14 pass attempts is probably not enough 
for us to say they should definitely make a switch or definitely consider a switch, but I don't think, I don't think McNamara has closed the door at all. I don't, I mean, a 142 passer rating, 60% completion percentage. Those are not, that's not, oh, he's six and oh, he should be the starter the rest of the way guaranteed. Those aren't, those aren't quite good enough numbers for that. Um, moving to the back to the defense, biggest question. I mean, for, for me, it's downfield coverage, but, but another one I'm, I'm a little curious about just so I don't repeat myself too much is the pass rush beyond Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. Those two have been phenomenal in the pass rush. They have 44 quarterback pressures. They're both top 25 in the country in sacks. I believe they have 10 sacks combined at this point. You can work with that. One question I have is, is can the rest of the team find some pass rushing? I mean, really, you know, Josh Ross has, has had a couple games, but, but a lot of his quarterback pressures were against the Mac teams. You know, he hasn't been the same kind of pursuer or pass rusher so far. You know, Christopher Hinton, Mozzie Smith, I think they've both been a little up and down. I think Smith is trending up. But other than coverage, I'm going to go with pass rush beyond really Aiden Hutchinson, but Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. I mean, do they have enough players who can pass rush? You don't necessarily need everyone to be good at that or everyone to put up big numbers. But I think there's been a couple times this season where quarterbacks have been able to find Hutchinson, dodge him, and that kind of buys them an extra two and a half seconds, three seconds. And that's maybe that doesn't cost them a game in itself. But if they have another guy that they also have to dodge, suddenly these plays are breaking down. That, to me, that was the strength of the 2016 defensive front and the 2017 defensive front is that you really, it was a pick-your-poison type of pass rush. You didn't get to just say, you didn't just get to identify the, the All-American candidate. You had to identify, like, five All-Big Ten candidates. Steve, what's your biggest question about this defense? I don't know, I don't know where you stand on this, uh, you know, either pass rushing or coverage or, or something else but but what's what's your biggest remaining question about Michigan's defense uh, will can DJ Turner continue to get better I think is kind of one of the things that I continue to think about just because as you talked about they're going to be facing some better passing attacks going forward Gray's had a great rebound year Green's been a little up and down but I still think is a guy that they can mostly rely on Hill and Hawkins are obviously a great duo to have at that safety spot. I think we talked in the preseason that whoever that third corner is was going to be a very important player for Michigan. I just off the cuff, I'm thinking the reviews on Turner are probably pretty mixed so far. I think he's been he's been solid in spots, but he's been not solid in other spots. Um, that's going to be an area I think again could be a guy that teams are going to try to throw at and continue to test, you know? So I think if, if, if he's somebody that can continue to get better with more game reps and maybe more in season practices too, just, you know, they have a couple weeks here. Yeah. I think that could be really, really big for Michigan. Uh, the younger guys at linebackers seem to be coming along. Well, it's been similar though. It's like Colson has shown real big flashes, but he's also made a couple, you know, significant mistakes in spots 
but overall, I think that the most of the returns there have been positive. I, so I, I guess I, not to point out an individual player, uh, but I think a, if Turner can really continue to emerge as a legitimate third guy and be an asset, I think that that'll really ease a lot of Michigan's concern defensively, I think. So, yeah, real quick, just so people have a, a glimpse of where things are at in the, in the secondary. I have the pro football focus coverage stats. Brad Hawkins has been amazing. I didn't actually realize he'd been this good. He has not allowed a reception on six passing targets. And according to pro football focus, I know Michigan gave him a couple extras, but according to pro football focus, he has three pass breakups, three pass breakups to zero receptions allowed. Now he's a safety. He's not necessarily getting targeted a ton, but that's, that's very good. Daxton Hill, um, you know, he's, he's allowed a couple bigger plays. So his numbers aren't quite as, but 13, 19 for 30, 195 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, four pass breakups. That's, that's pretty good. Given how much he's been tested, Vincent gray, 17 for 27, 162 yards. So he's allowed a decent amount of receptions, but not a ton of big time plays less than 10 yards per reception. Two touchdowns allowed, one pass breakup. Jamon Green, 12 for 19, 176 yards. No touchdowns, one interception, no pass breakups that weren't intercepted. So he's, over the course of the season, he's actually been better than Gray. I test to me suggested Gray has been maybe better in the, in the closer games. DJ Turner, four for eight, 41 yards, no touchdowns, one pass breakup. So... Is that good enough the rest of the way, knowing that there are some better quarterbacks on the schedule? To me, that's that's a big question. And I'm with you. I think I think DJ Turner maybe having a, a strong second half of the season would go a long way toward Michigan getting to where it needs to be. I think I think quietly a big strength for Michigan is that RJ Moten turned out to be a legit option at safety. Because that allowed them to move Daxton Hill to the nickel coverage, and he's he's done pretty well there. Uh, that's that's a good spot for him. That that kind of takes some pressure off of Michigan finding a third cornerback this season. But I think DJ Turner being able to rotate in or or when when in passing situations, you know, make get on the field, maybe make a play or two. Because yeah, I think. At the cornerback position, compared to like quarterback or other struggle spots, I don't think Michigan knows what it has outside of its top two or three guys at corner. And so I think, yeah, Turner stepping up would, would go a long way. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. In the next episode, it will be part two, and it, we, you, we won't make you wait too long for it. Uh, we'll do midseason awards and maybe take a look at some of the national or all Big Ten caliber players on Michigan's team, a bold couple bold predictions for the second half of the season, along with our, what what is a fair revised expectation for the Wolverines. Now that we've seen them start six and zero. anyway, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.